Welcome to the Virginia Politics and Government Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Thomas. Today, I'm going to describe the facts of Governor Bob McDonald's corruption scandal. There's a lot of misinformation out there, and politicians are using his case as justification for their own corrupt dealing. Here's what actually happened. Bob McDonald was one of the most talented politicians in Virginia. He was popular, legislatively deft, charismatic, and telegenic. He was elected in a 2009 landslide and maintained a 60% approval rating, enough to spur vice presidential speculation in 2012. He was also the only Virginia governor to be indicted, tried, or convicted for crimes he committed in office. In 2014, Virginia politics had reached a boiling point. Prosecutors and media encircled Governor McDonnell and First Lady Maureen McDonnell with gumshoes, subpoenas, and a trial. At issue were tens of thousands of dollars in bribes, buttressed by a never-ending cascade of self-justifications that collapsed, publicly and absolutely. Johnny Williams was a salesman who accumulated a $100 million fortune over a 30-year career that trailed a wake of bankruptcies, victims, investigations, and other flotsam. Williams' company, Star Tobacco, began as a tobacco outfit, and when Williams microwaved tobacco, he claimed he invented a safer cigarette. He patented the process, sued the Reynolds tobacco giant for infringement, and settled for $5 million. The con artist renamed his organization Star Scientific, got out of the cigarette business, and tried to convince people that a neurological panacea could be made by, miraculously, also irradiating tobacco leaves. This last grift was summarized by a Bloomberg News reporter as, quote, Williams cooked tobacco in microwaves from Walmart, packaged it in candy-like lozenges, and tried to turn Virginia's oldest cash crop into an elixir for old age. How did McDonald enter the picture? Williams later testified that, If you're a Virginia company, you want to make sure you have access to these people. He's a politician. I'm a businessman. The indictment detailed the inseparability of the Williams-McDonald relationship from ingratiating bribes. Before they even met, Williams had granted Bob use of his private jet for gubernatorial campaigning, though they were later briefly introduced, only at a political fundraiser at New York City's Four Seasons Hotel after Bob's election, did they get the chance to speak. First Lady Maureen McDonald asked Williams for financial help in buying a dress for the upcoming inauguration, a purchase that was later forestalled by one of the governor's senior policy advisors. Later that month, the First Lady emailed the advisor, and I quote, I need to talk to you about inaugural closing budget. I need answers, and Bob is screaming about the thousands I'm charging up in credit card debt. We are broke, have an unconscionable amount in credit card debt already, and this inaugural is killing us. I need answers, and I need help, and I need to get this done. The following October, Williams provided Bob a private round-trip flight to California. Williams joined the governor on the return flight to pitch Anatablock, his microwaved tobacco elixir. McDonald then initiated a meeting between Williams and Virginia's Secretary of Health, who rejected Williams' crazy anatoblock entreaties. In February 2011, the McDonald's attended a star scientific dinner of health professionals at Richmond's five-star Jefferson Hotel, in which Bob further enthused about anatoblock. The McDonald's traveled to New York City in April, and Marine beseeched Williams to take her shopping, which he did spending $10,999 at Oscar de la Renta, $5,685 at Louis Vuitton, and $2,604 at Bergdorf Goodman. In return, she ensured William sat next to Bob at a political dinner that night. Then, the dam broke. A few weeks later, the McDonald's had a private dinner with Williams and his wife at the governor's mansion, followed days later by a dinner between the First Lady and Williams, in which she told him about the first couple's financial problems. 
She asked for a $50,000 loan in exchange for advancing William's business interests. She asked for a $50,000 loan in exchange for advancing William's business interests. After speaking with Bob, Williams agreed to what has been reported in the press as a loan, but was, in fact, a, quote, loan without any paperwork. The First Lady also asked for $15,000 to defray the cost of their daughter's upcoming wedding, and Williams made out checks to Marine for $50,000 and $15,000. At the end of May, the governor and his sons played golf at the Tony Kinlock Golf Club, Though Williams wasn't there, he picked up roughly $270 for food and drinks, $400 at the course shop, and $1,700 for golfing. Flush with Williams' cash, Marine had a spending spree on June 1, 2011. She began by opening a stock market account and made just one order for more than $30,000 in Star Scientific stock. Later, she took her chief of staff to Florida on Williams' private jet, where she touted his company to investors and announced that the governor's mansion would host Anatoblock's official launch party. At the end of July, the McDonald's enjoyed an all-expenses-paid vacation at Williams' multi-million-dollar lake house, complete with recreational use of a boat and Ferrari, which the McDonald's drove back to Richmond. The night they returned, Bob emailed his Secretary of Health to schedule a meeting between Williams, Marine, and a senior health advisor the next morning at the mansion. Here, Williams offered his proposal for securing state funding for his company and insanely suggested that the government should test his tobacco radiation pills on state employees. After the meeting, Marine asked Williams to purchase a Rolex watch engraved with 71st Governor of Virginia that she could give to her husband for Christmas, and Williams did it. The next day, Marine purchased $2,500 more Star Scientific stock. The month of August saw the Anatoblock launch in the mansion, as well as the McDonald's racking up thousands more dollars of charges for golfing on Williams' account. Marine continued speaking publicly about Anatoblock throughout the fall. At a health leaders conference held at the mansion on February 29, 2012, Marine arranged for Williams and dozens of Star Scientific employees and affiliates to attend. Afterwards, the McDonald's, Williams, and a scientist ate an unbelievable $1,423 dinner in Richmond on Williams' tab. The next week, Williams and Bob plotted to transfer money to Bob while shirking reporting requirements. They nixed the idea of transferring 50,000 shares of Star Scientific, about a quarter million dollars worth, and settled on another no-paperwork, quote, loan of $50,000 to a tiny real estate corporation owned solely by Bob and his sister. Williams asked his personal assistant to write the check and hide the identity of the recipients. When the assistant wrote Marine McDonald in the memo line, he told the assistant to avoid the check and write one with no name. Bob asked for and received another $20,000 for his tiny company in May. On March 21, 2012, Bob had a meeting with Virginia's Secretary of Administration, supposedly about lowering state health care costs. He theatrically took a bottle of an block from his pocket and brandished it, claimed he took it, and that it benefited him personally, then instructed the secretary to schedule a meeting with Williams' company. That month, the mansion's chef resigned over petty theft allegations, a story that the Associated Press broke on March 23rd. The chef had been interviewed by the FBI on March 8th and told investigators that he had information about the McDonald's impropriety. Washington Post reporters Rosalind Helderman and Laura Vizella published the first story on the McDonald's-Williams scandal on March 30, 2013. The gift-graft pendulum modulated over the next year. The McDonald's took another lavish vacation, received free and reduced-cost yard and maintenance work from Williams' brother, and obtained private jet flights for their daughters, all on Williams' dime. But for whatever reason, they took no other action for him. 
They then ostentatiously returned all of the tangible gifts and monies and attempted a cover-up, unwittingly adding to their indictment. The easiest were spokespersons' lies to the media and to the public. Williams was a family friend that they had known for five years. He and the McDonald's daughter paid for her wedding, and they were just trying to help his company, as they would any other business. All were fabrications. Disclosure laws were harder to get around. There was the matter of the $120,000 in paperless and uncollateralized loans. Bob omitted those on his financial disclosure forms by stating obtusely that he owed ten dollars to $50,000 to a creditor in medical services in 2011 and health care in 2012. Similarly, Marine sold her Star Scientific shares at the end of both December 2011 and 2012 and repurchased them after Bob's annual disclosure forms were filed in January, so that Bob's annual conflicts disclosures listed he and Marine as owning no stocks at all. In a fitting salute to posterity, as of the date of this podcast in January 2017, the disclosure forms were still incorrect. Bank loan applications could not be so easily manipulated, and when Bob applied for a loan without listing these liabilities, he was ultimately charged with making feloniously false statements to a bank. Marine also did not comport herself well when the FBI came calling in February 2013. She erected a shaky house of lies about the whole scandal. She asked for invoices for the previously free yard work and returned the designer dresses with a sad letter pretending that they were on loan to her from good friends for a future charitable auction. For the deceitful letter, she would garner her own charge of obstruction of an official proceeding. Prosecutors offered a plea deal to the McDonald's, under which Bob would plead guilty to one felony count of making false loan statements to a bank, and Marine would be charged with nothing. On the one hand, the McDonald's faced unsympathetic facts and Johnny Williams' testimony, for which he had been granted full immunity. On the other hand, they had a popular governor and talented communicator in a conservative court on his political doorstep in Richmond, who had to convince just one juror to doubt the federal government. The McDonald's and their attorneys must have felt the dice were loaded when they rolled them and took the case to trial. The main facts of the case were publicly known even in the initial Post article, though more revelations surfaced throughout the summer and fall of 2013. By December 2013, a federal grand jury was ready to return indictments, but they were delayed by unnamed senior officials at Obama's Justice Department until after McDonald left office the next month due to term limits. Ten days after they left the mansion, Bob and Maureen McDonald were indicted on January 21, 2014. They were both charged with the following felonies. Conspiracy to commit honest services wire fraud, one count. Honest services wire fraud, three counts. Conspiracy to obtain property under color of official right, one count. Obtaining property under color of official right, six counts. And making false statements, one count. Additionally, Bob was charged with making false bank statements and Marine with obstruction of an official proceeding. They both faced a maximum of 30 years in prison. One of Bob's attorneys lashed out in a statement. The federal government's decision to use these deceitful tactics in order to prosecute a popular and successful Republican governor immediately upon his leaving office is disgraceful, violates basic principles of justice, and is contemptuous of the citizens of Virginia who elected him, he said. Strangely, between the time of this statement and the trial, a similar defense of government overreach, which perhaps could appeal to more than 1 in 12 Virginians on jury duty, was cast aside for a preposterous defense theory. The McDonald's would hinge their cases on the defense that their marriage was so broken that they were incommunicative and therefore it would have been impossible for them to conspire together. At the trial, the McDonald's demonstrated resolve in not even glancing in each other's direction for hours, despite the fact that they sat one seat away around an L-shaped table. A man slouched between them at the angle of the L of the table, and unlike the other defense attorneys, he sat mute. The defendants would, from time to time, jot a note on a scrap of paper and slide it in front of the silent lawyer. 
After a few minutes, he would lean forward and push the paper to the other defendant. This was how the spouses interacted during the trial. The estranged marriage theory proved impossible to believe. In addition to passing notes to each other in front of the jury, they had lived together, and FBI agents testified that they had spent 90% of nights with each other in the mansion. During the time of the conspiracy, they took 18 vacations together over a 22-month period. As if in a bad mafia movie, the two showed up together for pre-trial hearings with new, matching blonde-turned-gray dye jobs. Since the trial, their hair has turned back to blonde. They were supposed to be not communicating. This was their entire defense theory, and the prosecution literally showed newspaper photographs of the two walking into court together, hand in hand. The jury had little trouble at convicting the McDonald's of all the corruption charges against them, though the judge later threw out Marine's obstruction charge. In a silver lining, possibly indicating the relative dislike of Americans for banks versus politicians, they were both acquitted of making false statements on loan documents. One by one, Piers unanimously convicted Bob of selling his office to a cartoonish businessman who claimed irradiated tobacco could help cure Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, Parkinson's, and MS, among other diseases. They were found guilty of a combined 19 felonies, including graft, conspiracy, and wire fraud. The Reagan-appointed judge sentenced Bob to two years in federal prison and Marine to one, years less than the federal sentencing guidelines provided for. I don't know how it could be any better for you, an appeals court judge later said. Virginia politicians faced a crisis of faith and an existential moment, reassessment or retrenchment. Immediately after the verdicts, they commenced the reconstruction of the Virginia Way. A bipartisan who's who of state and federal senators, attorneys general, CEOs, representatives, councilmen, mayors, donors, and hangers-on, more than 400 in total, united to vouch for the convicted governor's morals and ask for leniency. Unbelievably, Dozens of legislators publicly claimed that they were unable to differentiate between quid pro quo graft and everyday politics. They signed an amicus brief maintaining that the verdict, quote, puts at risk of federal criminal prosecution every public official who accepts a gift and performs any action that may impart some benefit to the donor. If this new construction of the federal anti-corruption statutes is approved by this court, Virginia's legislators may be forced to scale back constituent services and other socially beneficial efforts. Furthermore, they claimed that federal bribery law did not supersede Virginia's looser bribery definitions. This is an abandonment of the Constitution's Supremacy Clause by legislators. As one of McDonald's character witnesses, former governor and Democratic presidential candidate Doug Weiler asked the court for leniency and argued that, quote, without question, had McDonald not run into the difficulty, he would have been ranked as one of the best governors that Virginia has ever had. But because McDonald's stigmatized and could no longer be vice president or president, Quote, he has been punished, been punished indelibly, forever. If he were to be given 50 years, it wouldn't be any more punishment in terms of how he has suffered. A reporter asked former Democratic Virginia Attorney General Anthony Troy if Bob did anything wrong. What the governor did was not a crime, Troy said. But did he do anything wrong? No, not at all, Troy replied. Not even ethically? No, not even ethically. Six former Virginia attorneys general, two Republicans and four Democrats, wrote to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals in Richmond in January 2015, arguing that the expansive interpretation of federal law on which this conviction is based is erroneous. It's completely alien to any legal advice that any of us would have given to any governor of Virginia. Moreover, that expansive interpretation, if allowed to stand, would wreak havoc upon the public life of Virginia by casting a shadow of federal prosecution and imprisonment across normal participation in the democratic process. Ordinary citizens felt no such urge. In fact, more than two-thirds of Virginians saw corruption in the governor and justice in his fall. 
The unanimity of the jury found its mirror image opposite in political hacks who came to McDonald's defense. A month after their last court appearance and free during appeal, the McDonald's, supposedly too estranged to speak, were seen together at a comedy show, sitting next to each other, chatting and laughing. They were never charged with perjury. Marine, in fact, never even testified. It's been widely and falsely reported that the Supreme Court cleared Bob McDonald of wrongdoing. That's not the case. The court actually said that the definition of bribery that the government used was too broad, and the Supreme Court sent the case back to the Court of Appeals to determine if there was enough evidence for a retrial. Then, President Obama's Justice Department declined to pursue the case further. He has not been declared innocent. I do not believe that the Supreme Court would have ruled the way it did if they were familiar with the facts of the case. Their ruling has had an unfortunate political effect as we enter the age of Trump. It has effectively decriminalized all but the most brazen political corruption. It has given politicians license to engage in quid pro quo behavior. They just do it behind closed doors. After political crises, there are brief moments of time when the people and the press see the gross fraud for what it is. During the financial crisis was one moment. During the McDonald trial was another. Faced with the exposure and collapse of the pay-to-play ingratiation scheme in Virginia politics, politicians could have looked in the mirror. Instead, they circled the wagons, became more insular, and immediately reconstituted the venal system behind the back of the people and the press. The preeminent story in Virginia politics in the second decade of the 21st century is the reconstruction of a corrupt ideology in the wake of Governor McDonald's corruption convictions. This is what this podcast is exploring.